You are listening to the Evolution Exchange podcast, a melting pot of ideas and inspiration shared by some of the most successful tech leaders in Australia. I'm Shauna. I help connect tech companies with top tech talent. And today I'm your host. So welcome back to another Evolution Exchange podcast. Today I'm joined by three senior leaders within the Australian technology industry. And we're here to discuss the topic of protecting our future with technology. Um, this is a pretty incredible topic and we're going to cover many areas. These areas we're looking at importance of data, recycled water, interoperability, natural capital monitoring, reporting and loads more. So, so much to cover here. Um, but like I said, I've got a pretty incredible panel here today. Um, I think before we kick off this, um, you know, very in-depth chat, um, I think it's important to do a proper intro Um to our panelists. So I'm looking at James. <laughs> um, do you want to kick things off? Give us an intro about yourself, your projects you've worked on, and how it all ties into protecting a future with technology. Sure thing. Thanks, Shauna, and lovely to be here today. So I'm James Litchens, and I head up emerging technologies for NCS Australia. So NCS Australia, we're essentially a large tech services provider to government and enterprise organizations across the country. Uh, and that covers everything from cloud infrastructure through to data and analytics, through to mobile apps, websites, uh, even data science. And then there's another area that I look after, which is emerging technologies. And so this is things like digital twins, smart cities, uh, augmented reality, virtual reality, and chat GPT or generative AI, which has been a huge topic of late. And so we look after those sorts of areas. And how do you take these new emerging technologies to solve current day problems? Uh, and in fact, it's not always just current day problems. It might be a 20-year-old problem that can now be solved by combining a combination of new and older technologies. So we get to do some really interesting and awesome things for our customers. And a lot of those areas can be and are in related to uh, whether it's sustainability or actually making protecting our future or impacting the Australian lives in a positive way. So that's really exciting from a work perspective. For me personally, uh, I just love all things tech and I play around with it all the time. I have a smart home, uh, which I've even created a digital twin around. It does a lot of things for me. I'm terrible at doing chores, but I genuinely find uh, technology is helping protect me in my future <laughs> from living in a filthy place, uh, but also making my life easier along the way. Thanks, Shauna. This is incredible. Thanks so much, James. Um, I'm looking at Fabian next. Tell us a bit about yourself, uh, FarmBot. Thanks, Shauna. Yeah, and yeah, good to be here as well. Um, so yeah, FarmBot, uh, FarmBot Monitoring Solutions, we specialize in um, remote monitoring solutions for farming and farming infrastructure. Um, we started a few years ago with basic water levels for uh, for water tanks and then expanded to a wider range of sensors over time. Um, so it's important to know, yeah, that uh, water is a very important resource for farmers. That's, um, um, if not the most important, really. So that's the first thing they think about in the morning, last thing they think about before they go to bed. And uh, so keeping, keeping track of it is very, very important. Um, they usually have a lot of water tanks uh, that typically gets checked on a daily basis for leaks and levels. So um, with the, the size of farms, especially in Australia, those tanks might be spread over uh, maybe a couple of hundred kilometers. Um, that's, yeah, usually a very tedious um, a very tedious process to, to go through this. Um, 
And uh, so for some of our customers, it even means that they, they check with uh, with light planes or helicopters on a daily basis to make sure, okay, so where are we at? What do we have? Well. Um, so, so yeah, and the, the problem is that even if they do that, once they turn around, uh, well, they don't know what's, what's there, right? Because maybe they draw, they draw with a, a pipe on the way out and, uh, and, uh, and craft it. And then, okay, now we've got water spilling everywhere. Um, so yeah, so our solution really helps them, uh, keep an eye on their water, uh, wherever they are. So our monitors are solar, uh, solar powered devices, uh, that communicate back to our platform via satellite or cellular comms. Um, and that makes them suitable for really any look, uh, any location, no matter, no matter how remote really. Uh, which is very important in farming because um, yeah, that's that's the nature of the beast really in this case. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so from here uh, we've got our alerting platform that does the rest and really uh, give the farmers peace of mind by letting them know when they're running low or high on water, or for some reason if um, if water in one of their tank is dropping very very quickly. So uh, some of those tanks might be hundreds of thousands of liters. So yeah, um, catching it as early as possible is very very important. Um, so, so yeah, like I was saying, it's a very modular platform, um, and uh, we started with water levels, but now we've got other things like rain gauge, flow meters, line pressure sensors, cameras, and as of recently, also machine control. So we had a lot of people telling us, you know, this is this is great. You're telling me when when I'm out of water, but now what, right? So yeah. now we can uh, we can help them just uh, automate uh, the control of their pumps to fill their tanks. So, so really, the goal here is to, um, to for us to uh, to help farmers make better decisions and faster decisions about their water and their resources for, for better management. And yeah, that's the angle. <laughs> that's incredible. Thanks so much, Fabian. And I feel like that's definitely tip of the iceberg. What I'm excited to get really in depth about what what it's all about. So, thank you, um, Vince. Please tell us about yourself and Energizer. Hi, uh, thanks, Sean, for having me. Um, so first thing I want to say is that, James, I totally understand the best gadget that um, my wife convinced me to buy was the vacuum cleaner because now I'd have to get the vacuum cleaner out and um, <laughs> change my life. I'm just trying to convince her to allow me to buy the um, uh, the, the robot um, uh, grass mower, but uh, she won't let me do that at this moment. But that's the most pet peeve of mine is actually going oh more than <laughs> but anyway, um, so um, I'm Vincenzo Marciano, Vince for short. Um, I'm CTO for Energizer Solar. Uh, Energizer Solar is a company, and yes, everyone's bought an Energizer branded product, so it's uh, AA and AAA batteries. Uh, brand is definitely really, really important, and um, the three stats I normally give about Energizer Solar is, um, so Energizer is market leader in 140 countries. Um, they are. Um, uh, they have a ninety-six percent brand recognition. So if you're walking down the street, people actually remember uh, who Energizer is, and everyone's bought one. Um, and eight out of ten people in the world have actually bought an Energizer product in their lifetime. So that's eighty percent of the world population. That's that's a, a fantastic stat. Um, wow. So what do we do, and how's it different? So everyone's as I said bought a AA and AAA battery. But my uh, role is basically to bring the renew in, sorry, move energizer into the renewable space. So we're talking about battery storage on your home, um, EV chargers, solar panels, inverters, um, and then also into the portable power stations as well. So if you're out camping or yeah, there's any issue with um, energy, you can actually use a portable power station as well. Um, we sell into into Australia, New Zealand. Um, we sell into Europe as well, which is fifty four countries, 
and next month we're actually launching into North America. So it's quite interesting you think, why um, are we doing North America last? Especially because Energizer is an American brand and uh, like Apple Pie. Um, we, we're actually an Australian-based company which actually has a global license to actually sell um, the Energizer brand in the renewable space uh, throughout the world. And, you know, why the biggest thing here, and back first looking at the topic around protecting our future with tech, although I've come from a, um, an IT background, development, data, um, et cetera, but I've always had the spin on how do you actually make someone's life better, whether it's a business person through how they actually interact with the system. Um, but in this space, we're actually a manufacturer. Um, it's actually how do we actually use technology and actual hardware to protect our future? And we've got to think about things such as, you know, and big hot topic, of course, is the environment. Um, but not only is it about the environment, it's also about the power grid um, as well. So whilst we can put on lots of battery storage and EV charging, et cetera, we don't worry about how do we actually get the energy to the home and, and how do we protect that power grid. Um, and we're also thinking about, as you know, back to what James said around um, you know, lifestyle, how do we actually interact technology into the lifestyle of people uh, to make sure that we're not impacting on that and you know, when they need energy or when they need something, it can actually happen. There's no way I can tell my wife not to use a hairdryer at any particular point in time, but <laughs> if I can move my energy from my pool to a different time of the day, which will actually help um, the, the grid and, and also help uh, my my energy uh, usage. That's really important. But, you know, environment, of course, our children, our children's children's future um, is is something that um, is really close and dear to my heart. And, um, you know, that's why it's really good to be able to bring that technology piece and actually be able to protect our future using technology and, and so on. Brilliant. This is awesome. Thank you so much. I'm really excited to hear more about this as well, Vince. Um, but I think that definitely the topic here today, guys, um, is really, really important. Um, I think, James, you touched on something that was quite important there is new problems, but as well as 20 year old problems, isn't it? That um, you're really using technology to to improve. Um, so I think we'll just jump straight into it because um, Fabian and Vince today both brought, and I think James and a couple of elements as well, um, the topic of the importance of data um, around this whole area is kind of where it all starts, isn't it? Right. Like, so J- Fabian, do you want to give us a little intro of sort of what you're thinking around that and what that means for FarmBat? I know you mentioned to make better and faster decisions and that comes back to data. So take it away there on that topic. Please. Yeah, that, that's right. Yeah, so one of the big problems, really, and especially like in farming, given the, given the size of properties, is really to understand what you have, right? Where are the resources that are available, and how to best manage them without really running them down entirely, right? So um, it, it's very important for for farmers to know. Okay, so how much water do I have? How much grass is there on that? Um, it is there on the property, so they might rely on things like satellite satellite imagery, for example, to uh, to to this to uh, to get an understanding of what is there. And um, yeah, and, and yeah, really, the that helps them in that case make decisions either from sensors like ours or satellite satellite imagery to um, to decide. Okay, so um, maybe I should move this mob from this paddock to this other, just to, so that we don't run down the land entirely, or. Um, maybe it's, if it's a hot year, maybe well, maybe we need to uh, maybe just we need to sell the sell the, the animals earlier so that again we don't run down the land. Or okay, if it's um, if we know that we we're gonna have as what is coming now a very very hot year, 
uh, maybe it's worth looking at uh, raising only 3,000 animals instead of 5,000 and really just make sure that um, our natural capital is a little bit more managed in this case, right? And uh, um, farmers typically gets, uh, um, I guess, a bad reputation uh, when it comes to uh, when it comes to environmental impact, especially in livestock. But yeah, I believe they're really also a big part of the solution, right? And um, it's uh, it's then our responsibility as well to help them out and empower them to make those decisions based on based on what we can uh, we can see uh, for them, right? Brilliant. There's definitely like a visual. It gives you a really good visual, doesn't it? The data, um, and then it probably. Do you find that you're constantly picking up on other areas and you can help them improve on the new data that you're finding? Well, that's right. Yeah, like we even in terms of waste of water, right? For like with leak detection and things like that. We, when we can pick up something very early, it means potentially hundreds of thousands of liters that are safe. Yeah, and all, all of that matters, right? And nobody wants to just have water on the ground for no reason. And uh, uh, this is again one of the more scarce resources that we will have going forward. Um, so, so yeah, it's uh, it's quite important in this case to help them monitor this. Yeah. Incredible stuff. Um, James, I know you also, one really um, in-depth emerging technology project you work on was recycled water. Um, yeah. What have you found around like data, the impact of data around your projects you've worked on on, on water as well? Yeah, it's really interesting. With, yeah, as Fabian said, the topic of water in itself is, is fresh water and the scarcity yeah. of it. And it's strange to imagine that as humans, we just, we need it to survive. Uh, but then we don't really imagine what life is like without it, except for perhaps times when uh, we've had water restrictions and we can't wash our cars as often. We don't really think about it in that sort of sense. But Fabian, as you're saying, yeah, from a farming perspective, it is thought about every morning and every night. And part of the challenge is we've historically treated all water the same. So uh, I suppose as a data point, we would treat water as one single data point. Water is water. Well, it's either salt yeah. water or it's fresh water and we can use it. And so using the highest quality, freshest water for every sort of use case has historically kind of been the approach. I'm generalizing here, but essentially that's mm. kind of what's happened. So what it means is our precious resource of the fresh water gets used in many ways. So farming certainly needs high quality water in industrial processes, potentially not as high quality water or even not high quality water at all. Uh, and then on the similar side as it gets wasted on the other end, how do you treat that? How do you look after it? Uh, so we did a project around that. But before I sort of touch on that, I think to echo what you're saying, Fabian, about the data. So as we work through all of these new technologies and bring them all in, it is really leveraging off a foundation of data uh, and drawing insights from data, particularly disparate data where you wouldn't necessarily realize the connection and I think that's one of the mm. big things that's becoming unlocked now as we move further forward. Like you said, Fabian, about like with leak detection, it's, on one hand, it's about if we take the farm example, keeping track of how much water is in a hundreds of thousands of litre storage tank is one step. Then it's understanding how much or how fast is that being used. Then it's understanding what is that being used for. And then starting to detect the anomalies of why isn't it being used or why is it going faster or slower? And as Fabian said, that that thing of going just a few litres every day or every hour, disappearing what might seem like a tiny data point can actually be a massive impact uh, by yeah. detecting it and making that connection quickly. And I think that's kind of that value. Well, 
sort of demonstrates the power of data and the the insights that you draw from it because then that leads to that next step of going for us as humans and kind of echoing on what Vince said earlier around taking technology and how do you bring it into someone's life in a way that makes it easier not harder I think you've all kind of heard about big data and just the massive sets of data that we get these days Uh, and then as a human you can't interpret that we can't understand that Uh, and that actually ties into what we did with a a project for melbourne water and recycled water so kind of linking all these things together we started talking about fresh water and we treat it all the same well there is an option to use secondary classes of water for alternate sources and melbourne water uh, has the largest class a recycled water plant in australia Class A recycled water is essentially water that is so clean it can it comes disgustingly, it comes from the toilet and all just straight sewage, but it gets <laughs> processed and it pops out the other end and it is clean enough to touch food products that humans will oh, consume. Wow. There is one wow. further step you can do to uh, to purify it and then you can drink it, but everyone kind of has the reaction that we've all just had on camera now that isn't the sort of thing that is going to be served at your local cafe. It's much more like it's what is it going to be used in in different areas. So long story short, Melbourne Water are processing this sewage into Class A recycled water and they're feeding it back to a small group of customers. I say small group, but they're large consumers of water. They're manufacturers or producers. And um, the challenge being is that Although it's not new technology, this recycling water, it's uh, it's still being improved. And so the reliability of that water becomes a bit of a challenge. Some days it will be available. Uh, and that's fantastic because for these producers, they uh, for, the, for these industrial processes, they have an allotment of water from the government that they use. And as Fabian would describe with farming, much the same as farmers, they are choosing the where... Yeah, they're choosing where every litre of water is going. And if they get a certain amount of fresh water allocated by the government and they can have almost an unlimited supply of recycled water that's food grade, it, it's a game changer. It's amazing. Um, the challenge being is sometimes that recycled water production stops. Now, what we created uh, as part of this was essentially building a digital twin uh, focused on a process And what it would do, it took their ability, Melbourne Water's ability to predict the outage of production of recycled water from 0% (laughs) up to 80%. So they could start to tell their customers with two days notice that water, their recycled water flow would be impacted. Uh, And that was taking into account a whole lot of data points from the way the processes operate uh, the way that there's a whole range of things here called turbidity and, and then wind speed, wind direction, etc. The water did in, in 10 weeks time, we went from no sort of certainty until it kind of happened to then being able to tell the, their customers water will be, you won't have recycled water for, in two days time. Uh, but secondly to that, and also even more importantly, we could suggest when the water would return. So when production would return. Uh, and that even happened in week 10 when we rolled it out. Uh, a few days later, it came up with a warning that water would be out. And 
on one hand, that's fantastic. It's also a bit of a shock to go, whoo, close to production and it's already suggesting something. Here's a big test. It actually played out. Uh, and then it, it showed up that the water would return 24 hours later. And it did, which is fantastic. And so taking a, a, this was done as a proof of value type approach. So it was building it very quickly, getting it out as close to production as possible to really test it in the real world. But also the second thing that came from it was the operational engineers who are running the process for Melbourne Water have a pretty good idea of the different factors that are involved in what makes and breaks the water recycling process. In this case, it was coming down to wind speed and wind direction. And to kind of cut a long story short, it sh- if the water gets shaken up a lot, it gets all cloudy, it's harder to treat. They knew that that was the case. The benefit that's come from this digital twin for them is the digital twin has actually narrowed down using data science to exactly what direction of wind and what speed of wind and for how long that wind needs to blow before it will have an impact. So now there's the opportunity for Melbourne Water to start to create recycling water plant to run experiments to try to um, increase this time of that production. So bringing all that together, power of data, all these data points really give a lot of information. And as Fabian said before, it comes down to all the different sensors and all the different inputs that come in. That data is overwhelming for humans. So bringing that data together, kind of like Excel, if you've got a massive table of huge amounts of data, really hard to get your head around it. But then if you process it using um, some machine learning and uh, data science and then present it back to humans in a way that they can understand, like in a digital twin or 3D representation, it's almost like charts in Excel, where all of a sudden we as humans can really see with a lot of data points what's important, what to look at. And then that can suggest where to go to next. And so this is the kind of outcome that we've gotten so far in this early stage with recycled water for our future. Brilliant. You make a very good point here. Like this is really the the data in context and the insights that is that is really important here. So that um, the combination of all those different data sets, so that you can get to a uh, like to to a decision point really from uh, from the huge amount of data. Right. Yeah. Good stuff. This is incredible. Thanks, James. Do you mind me asking, um, Vince, I'm going to ask you a question around this now as well, but mm. um, I personally don't know what digital twin is, what it means. And I, I don't want to assume while everyone else does. What is a digital twin? Fair point. So, it's <laughs> look, it's a massive buzzword. Uh, it's been used okay. a lot. Uh, essentially, it is... Cre- a lot of what you see are these lovely marketing images, if you ever Google it online, and it's a nice photo with sort of rendered 3D stuff rendered over it really what it's about is a digital representation of a physical either object process or whole system or network and what that means is you're taking all the data from the real world bringing it into a digital world so as a human you can see what's going on at kind of like a thirty thousand foot view across everything Um, Some of those are really in-depth, but at its core, it's about bringing it together. I'd almost like, I'd kind of say it's the chart in Excel to all the data, which is all the the IoT sensor data points. Brilliant. Like a bird's eye view of what's actually happening. Excellent. Okay. Thank you. Excellent, guys. Um, Vince, 
bringing back there the importance of data. I know we've done a lot around water aspects there, which is fantastic. Um, brilliant to hear everything that's happening in this space. Um, how does it relate back to Energizer? Um, and yeah. The whole kind of renewable piece. I remember um, a few years ago, Shauna, someone said uh, this to me, which is data is the new oil. And that's really, really, <laughs> yeah. really, uh, and something that stuck with me. It, Brilliant point. It's really important that there's so much data that's been generated per day. I just looked it up now, and um, the the last stat says 328 million terabytes of data actually generated per day globally. And when we talk about that, that's just that's just an amazing number if you think about it. But going back to what both Fabian and, and James have said, is that it's not just about generating the data. It's actually about the insights you can grab from that data and actually understanding what is it that we can actually ascertain from it. And, you know, water is a very interesting topic. And uh, guys have learned to, a lot. I didn't think about water that much. I just turned on my tap, right? So um, it's interesting to hear how much is there. I, I didn't ex- yeah, <laughs> it, um, you expect these things to happen, but you just sort of don't really think through these things. And it's the same thing with energy. Yeah. Uh, on my end, um, where it's not just about, um, you know, turning on your light switch. It's about what does that mean? And, you know, when I first started my last startup, um, we did a big customer survey around what is the most important things to people about energy, etc. And whilst people talked about, uh, you know, the environment and you know, helping them the, the world and, and all those type of things, uh, it really comes down to, you know, having energy when you need it in the right place at the right time and um, and also around savings because, you know, it also affects your hip pocket because it's a big topic and, you know, it's uh, the cost of living and all those type of things. So having data and data sensors and data points, you know, in the water space and also in the energy space allows us to make decisions around um, what we should do at what time. And I, I remember saying that, um, you know, we developed our app uh, at one stage and and I said it cost me more money and time to produce two pages on that app that gave great insights to customers than to produce a thousand Excel charts. And I could do that quite easily. But it's about giving that data in the right context and making sure people can actually understand what you're actually presenting to them. But also the other side of it is is actually using that data to make the right choices. So if I talk about some of the, the things we have where, you know, uh, battery storage. Now, if we take the, the side of the customers want to save money, it's about utilizing the battery at the right time to basically making sure we get the right outcome for them. So it's about making sure that we actually support our outcomes with our data as well. If you think about our EV chargers, you know, it's all well and good to say, Oh, let's uh, let's only charge the car a little bit uh, right now because um, we don't we yeah we don't need normally we don't need our car uh, to, to travel very far on a daily basis. But if a a, um, a customer or a person who actually has an EV decides they want to go for a long trip, if we haven't made the right decision around actually charging the car to its fullest extent to the whole 100% because we thought, okay, the priority is to save money, then it's not going to end well for anybody, right? So 
it's it's not only about um, you know, the the intricacies of that real technical side around how we actually use those sensors, etc. We also have to think about, and that's one of the topics um, I have as well, is around how do you actually bring it into the real world? And that's what I was talking about earlier around, and you know, that's been my sort of my forte is that is actually understanding how we bring hardware, how do we bring uh, software, etc., and interacting with the end user or end customer. Um, is really important so there has to be that crossover not only about uh, capturing that data it's all about how you use it in those insights as well Brilliant. definitely is going to tie us into a topic pretty soon um, on connectivity but before um, we leave that um, Vince has fantastic insights there um, Fabian multiple times I've been speaking to you about natural capital monitoring and reporting um, and I think it's something I really want to hear more about. Um, and it's directly related into the, the data piece. Tell us a bit about what is it? And uh, it's definitely going to be something that's going to be a buzzword pretty soon, right? Yeah, that's something that is uh, we're starting to hear a lot more about uh, in recent months. And uh, yeah, so the, the natural capital is effectively the, the world's stock of natural resources, land and ecosystems, so biodiversity and all these kind of things. Um, it's very important because at the rate we're going, um, the impact of um, our civilizations, I guess, uh, on our planet is orders of magnitude higher than what it can support, right? So um, it's time to do something about it. But again, like uh, as they say, you can't you can't really manage what you don't measure. So, so we need to start really understanding um, yeah. where we are, um, what is our current use of, of, of resources, uh, and our progress towards towards our goals or our lack thereof if um, if we don't speed things up a little bit. Um, so, so, yeah, so here, this is, this is really about understanding understanding the environment we're in and the impact that we have on it. And uh, um, yeah, so again, everyone has, uh, has a little part to play in here, but on, on the farming side in particular here, again, um, for, for bringing it back to this, uh, yeah. so farmers are one of the, I guess, the, the biggest customers of the land in general. So they have a, a big responsibility here to, to look after it properly. Uh, and that's kind of ties in again with uh, with uh, with the data, uh, the importance of data that we were talking about before, right? So, um, how do they know the impact that they're having on the environment? Um, so, so yeah, so this is important again to to tie in that data discussion uh, back into this with monitoring and reporting. From uh, a legislation point of view as well, we're seeing a lot of governments these days that are starting to uh, think about okay, so how is this going to be important going forward? How are we uh, managing this natural capital um, and in terms of protecting our future with technology, really, in this case. Um, so, so, so we're starting to see a few governments trying to put in place, um, I guess, some of those uh, some of those rules, some of those regulations to, uh, or at, at least obligations to report so that we know what is being used and how. Um, so, yeah, to, to some extent, it has already started with uh, the systems of carbon credits that uh, that we're starting to, to to see a lot, right? So you might have, uh, uh, let's say, there's a farm that is uh, doing all the best practices and um, uh, trying to make sure that they, they look after the land properly. They might be uh, running um, carbon sequestration programs. Uh, and in that case, they end up getting those credits that they can either sell for money, in this case, because at the end of the day, it all becomes about money, um, to companies that don't necessarily uh, care after them as much. But the, the idea is that at the end of the day, you would kind of balance the system in a way by um, yeah, by really measuring all of this. Brilliant. And right back into data then. Um, that's yeah. excellent, Fabian. Thanks so, thanks so much for this. Um, 
I know, James, this is something you were talking about as well, is around the government regulations um, and sort of the sustainability of companies and how to measure that. Um, have you heard of natural capital yourself yet or is that something new? Or give yeah, us a little I, bit of a spin. Yeah, I have actually. So it's just reminded me of some really interesting conversations I had towards the end of last year and particularly around, yeah, from a carbon capture, carbon management of farming and um yeah, there was a number of things around like the biodiversity corridors where, for example, if you plant a set of windbreak type trees, certain types to stop the... Why am I talking about water and wind? I don't know. <laughs> but it seems to me that, um, for example, if you plant a certain species of tree, which is the oil mallee uh, gum tree, it can help uh, capture a whole lot of carbon from the air, but also help change the soil type in the way that the farm and the, the nutrients are managed in the soil. That's part of the the, um, the natural capital that's right there. Then you've also got, as, as sort of Fabian was saying before, and the, the, how you manage that soil in itself. How do you keep hold of as much carbon in there? Uh, and that's the type of fertiliser that's used or fertiliser that isn't used, but also even how you use other livestock. You might be growing a crop, but you're using livestock to be on the f- uh, fields to help in the off time or to help make sure that that uh, soil is is a lot more nutrient, and I'm talking about this as not a farmer. So, to all the farmers yeah. listening, I apologise. This is <laughs> very little knowledge, but I think what was really interesting um, is that there is so much to it. And tying this into sustainability and the government regulations, if you look at these things, they look like massive problems. Um, but part of that, I think, is because we have had this view for a very long time that we've just had unlimited everything. We've been, I'll say spoiled, I don't mean it in a a negative way, but we've been lucky enough to have access to a lot of things for a lot of time and we kind of need to change the way we think about that. And data will help us do that. And it kind of like Vince was saying before around having the car that just charges itself to the amount that you generally drive is brilliant because you it is adapting to the way you operate. We as humans have always loved the ability to just get in the car, go down to the petrol station and then do a really long road trip down the coast or whatever, whenever we want. Mm. The short part of the future is, well, the safest thing for the environment might be to go, well, no, we actually don't do that way anymore, but we still want everything. And this is the power of data and insights where we can get to that stage again. But it's a bit tricky because we've got these huge volumes of data coming together. We need to generate insights that we haven't had yet and we haven't had before. But this is where the advancements in technology have the problems um, and allow us to be able to do these sorts of things where, once again, as humans, we can't process that volume of data like Vince was saying that, so what was it, Vince, ter- no, not terabytes, exabytes, pet. How many? Three hundred and seventy-eight. Sorry, three hundred and twenty-eight million terabytes a day. Wow, that's in, and that from then one hundred and twenty zettabytes per year. Jeez, and that's increasing exponentially as well. Um, yeah. And so we need the machines to help us, and they can. Uh, but then we also need to bring it back down to something that we can then use. And this is what's been, I suppose, in one sense, bamboozling a lot of us from industry, governments and individuals when it comes to sustainability, because we go, all right, we need to, we should be using less. We know the science of the world is warming. 
but we're used to being who we are and what we're doing. So then we kind of go, oh, it's hard to change. Well, someone yeah. else will tackle that. Uh, <laughs> but it all starts at home. How, and how, I think, how can I, as one little individual, make a difference is basically what people say, right? Like, you know, if I'm, yeah. anyone's doing it, but how does it make a difference to the world? And that, mm-hmm. I, like, I, I feel, and I don't mean this in a bad way, but even that flows through to us as businesses as well in the corporate sector. We go, oh, look, we're not the biggest ones. We're not the et cetera. We, you know, are, but, you know, if we do this, we don't, it all becomes big and a massive, hairy problem very quickly. So I suppose this is where government uh, regulations and enforcement is a good path to making it happen. But also there's lots of pockets of um industry and enterprise that are recognizing there's opportunities here like Vince with what you're doing with solar it's actually a there there are many many opportunities here and what's interesting is the more conversations I've been in around sustainability with companies once again I'll preface this with I don't say this in a bad way but talking in the language that companies and even us as individuals like which is around cost if you can make it cheaper more efficient better and it just also helps the environment and is more sustainable, then great, much easier to adopt rather than just sort of saying, oh, we need to do good, even if we know we should, but we don't necessarily act on that. And so there's a lot of things that I've found as we've gone through sustainability type initiatives um, from, once again, two big buzzwords of digital twin and smart cities, but essentially it's like what Fabian and Vince are talking about, about connected areas where data from one point helps opt change actions in another area those things lead to improved efficiency and um, reduced cost uh, and then less impact on the environment because we're using less that's brilliant really really good um yeah, definitely like it's all coming back really is it to to data um and access of data being able to understand it um and i think your point there, Vince, data is the new oil. <laughs> that's something that's going to stick with me for sure. Um, it, this really pulls us very much into the the next topic, um, which was around connectivity. Um, and we can look at this from a lot of different angles. Um, and definitely data feeds, feeds us straight in here. Um, Fabian, you were talking about connectivity in remote places. Um, and then Vince, you were talking about connect- connectivity from another aspect in all scenarios. Um, so let's get into it, Fabian. Do you want to tell us what, what your take is on connectivity and how important that is right now? Yeah, connect- connectivity is, is interesting, right? It's something that we, we tend yeah. to, uh, to take for granted here, right? For it's uh, always connected world, um, but this is only just a, a small part of the world, really, where this is available, right? And uh, um, yeah. yeah, connectivity in more rural areas, like again with with, with farming, it's it's really a challenge, and uh, and for them, this is their world, right? Uh, placing a phone call is something that is not not a given anymore, right? So, uh, so when you want to again get reliable data, or yeah, making sure that you stay on on top of your on top of your business, it can be really quite complicated, really in this case. Um, so yeah, there are new technologies that are coming up. Things like NBIoT, for example, which is um, I guess an extension. Um, of the over the reach of uh, cellular networks for for IoT purposes, but it's still very very far from from covering the entire country. Um, so then you got the other option, that's the the path we went down, you know, which is to to resort to satellite, uh, which solves the problem of availability in a way. So yeah, you can um, you can have satellite access anywhere anytime, pretty much. 
but then your constraint becomes bandwidth, right? Because every byte counts. So you get to the point where um, you have to, to shift the, the, the mindset a little bit. And when we, you know, we're talking about a lot of companies moving to, uh, or, or that have moved to the cloud or are moving to the cloud as uh, over the last um, decade or so. But now this is kind of the other way around, really, where you'd have to uh, to, to go back to uh, edge computing, really, in this case, where you, you're, you're making all your decisions in the fields and then just communicate back the outcome so that you don't, um, I guess, overwhelm the connectivity that the little of connectivity that you have, really, in this case. So, so yeah, starting to see a, a little bit of this mindset change, really. And uh, um, again, technology really making a difference here. And um, by, by implementing more of the systems, making more of those systems available, um, where it's typically difficult um, is uh, is going to have a big impact and going to be very important for our future. Um, it, connectivity, even like when it comes to um, again, um, NEC is a little bit different from farming, but uh, could be that could be either, either for for education or for uh, medical reasons as well. Where um, we we hear a lot of the stories where you have now the um, I forgot how they call them, but the, the the remote doctors in a way, right? Where you just get into, uh, onto a Teams or to uh, one of your um, virtual calls with you in this case and get your consultation done that way, at least as a starting point, right? So again, connectivity anywhere, anytime, yeah, again, very critical. Brilliant. Yeah, Excellent. we've definitely seen like that is a big challenge of as you're trying to get more data, particularly with Internet of Things type sensors, mm. they're being put somewhere physically and the data that you want is often the, in a position that is very hard to get at. Even granted, right. in, the, in the outback, that is hard. Uh, even in built-up urban areas, it might be in the basement. Uh, it might be in an area where you just can't get seen. There's actually many, many places where connectivity is tricky. And historically, it was a two-part problem where you had getting the signals in and out, but it also needed power to run the thing. Uh, and I think this is what's interesting with Vince and the, from a solar perspective, and especially solar with battery, it allows you to solve the power point, the power problem. And then as Fabian's saying, the different connectivity methods now can start to have these things operate, do some uh, logic and clever things, and then send just the data that it needs out uh, into the big world that we use to analyze. Brilliant. Vince, um, this was a really important topic of your of yourself, um, and it means a lot around, you know, energy and the electric car and um, access and connectivity. Tell us, tell us what you're thinking. Yeah, look, I I don't envy Fabian's role to be honest, because it's hard enough for me, <laughs> as James is saying, to get uh, connectivity from the basement through to through to the power board, right? <laughs> so, yeah. Um, we've tried so many different methods of, um, of doing this and it's about reliability as well because if you're if we're saying that we're using data and bring it back to data if we're using data to create these insights but we lose connectivity at any particular point in time um, then that's really um, it's really uh, yeah it's hard um, then you know if you think about it from an energy perspective when do you want the the solar panels and, and the batteries etc to support the grid it's in times of um, of distress and and whatever else and so yeah making sure that we actually have that connectivity and access at the right times is really really uh, key and important. But, you know, uh, I, I don't know how many different methods we've actually tried to make sure that, you know, you've got a shed at the back or you've got a basement or, or whatever it is to actually use, you know, uh, 
internet over power and, and all those uh, ethernet over power etc uh wi-fi uh, it, it's definitely a complex area that needs to be um yeah worked on and, and made sure that we actually get the right outcome as well from our customers perspective and then availability as well um they could almost separate them in a sense but um vince you were talking about the availability so access to this at the right time yeah. um it- yeah, look, and and that's, that's a, it is definitely a different topic. So connectivity is around being able to access it and, and be able to actually control. You know, it's not only it's about receiving data from my end, um, it's about control. And it will be the same thing in the, in the water space as well. You know, turning on a pump or turning off a pump um, is yeah. no different from my end to, to be able to turn off um, a pool pump or uh, making sure that the battery is charging at the right time. But if we're thinking about protecting, you know, sort of the future of protecting the grid, um, which is where sort of the renewables is, and you know, there's lots of topics around this um, and lots of discussion around how we actually can do that and not affect the grid um, from having so much renewables in the space and look at South Australia with with what they're doing and, and it's going to be rolling out right across Australia now uh, where we're seeing Queensland and Victoria having the same issues that South Australia is actually having. New South Wales a little bit protected at the moment. But um, it will still be something in the future. Um, availability is a really key thing because if we're saying, hey, we're going to have an event where everyone's going to be using so much energy because it's a really, really hot day um, today. And, you know, if we think about the availability of that energy, it does impact on what the customer really wants to do with the energy so we talk about i talk about ev charges earlier, but let's talk about or ev cars let's talk about just you know your your home energy usage um if if it's really warm i want to use my air conditioner now that's actually going to cause an impact on the grid and i could use my battery to support that but the battery is going to be used for my own benefit not for the grid's benefits so not only um are we worried about can we connect to it but we also got to be worried about, yeah, you know, what's the priority right now uh, for the usage of these sensors, IoT devices, our, you know, distributed energy resources, um, et cetera, et cetera. So um, it's a very complex area with lots of uh, great minds uh, working through it. Uh, but you know, we also need to make sure that we always keep that customer at the at the core of how we actually are designing and creating these insights and these control systems. Uh, because at the end of the day, uh, the the quickest thing that can actually happen is that people actually turn off uh, using or allowing people to utilize these assets to make a better outcome on a you know, sort of more um, global or sort of more um, community scale. But the first time you're hot, you're going to be going, I'm going to rip that out. And that's that's really um, a challenge from all our perspectives, water, any other, yeah. any, any part of, um, of, of uh, yeah, that human interaction with um, energy, water, um, et cetera, et cetera. It's definitely a mind shift from going trying to instill this it's for the good of the community yeah and potentially over the good bit the good of the individual but we can actually have it all and and yeah you're absolutely right that first time you run into the moment where oh my house is feeding the grid my neighbor 
they're um, running their pool pump today and it's um, <laughs> it's not quite hot enough yet. So they're going to use a bit of the power from my battery, but that's okay because I'll get it filled up from blah, blah, blah. That's all great. But yeah, as you say, then you go, oh, I need to have a shower and it's <laughs> on my cold showers. And exactly right. Yep. No, I, I feel like driving to Katoomba today to yeah, because it's a beautiful day and have a picnic with my family and oh, wait a sec, my, my car's not charged. Oh, yeah, that's, that's right. It's, it's that's the day that you go, oh, this is just awful. <laughs> that's it. I remember it's like that whole generalized demand is kind of like economics in a way where the bigger you go, the more the trends become almost normalized. Um, but I remember hearing a story from, um, it was from back in the UK, uh, back in power generation, I'm going to say maybe 30 years ago. And there was a period um, every every night where they would, or sorry, it was once a week, uh, at a specific time in the evening, half an hour before that time, all the power generators would ramp up their generation of power. And what they were preparing for were for all the kettles to be turned on because at the end of EastEnders, a lot of uh, the Brit Britonians would go and make a cup of tea uh, to then have after the after the end of the episode. And so that reliable level of demand was there. And that's all great when it was just five power generators. But now when you've got almost an infinite number of solar panels or that doesn't work in the evening now it's wind generate it all becomes hugely much 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 more complex mm. yeah yeah exactly wow Brilliant. and it definitely comes into then the education piece like education how um we like you educate your customers um and then the reach to get there to educate them let's have a little chat about that like how how's that going at the moment Look, I think uh, so. I'll jump in first. Um, you know, I remember I installed my first battery um, in 2015, and it was very, very early days in the residential setting um, here in Australia. And you know, uh, it 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 definitely has been a challenge to even get people to understand the basics. So, you know, why do I need a battery over solar, or why why should I put solar on my house? You know, that's and you think that we've been selling solar for yeah. 12 years plus um in in essence when you know the first um government incentives came in but it's still that education has to happen even with something that's yeah. becoming a lot more commoditized now um so imagine coming in and saying hey let's install a battery now it's hard enough still today to actually do that and in my space you know we're still only getting a 15 percent uh, rough attachment rate. What that means is that for every 100 solar installs, there's only 15 batteries being installed. Now you're trying to say, hey, um, but what we want to do now is we want to control that battery as well. So it's like, oh my God, that's that's completely <laughs> something I'm not even thinking about, right? So futuristic. I've just got over the fact that I need a battery. So <laughs> that customer education is an ongoing issue and an ongoing problem space. And then making people um, want to uh, give up control because that's what it's about is actually that mm -hmm. understanding that they're giving up control. It's like buying a new car and saying to the first stranger on the street, well, not exactly like that, but here's my car keys. You can use it for the day, right? It's yeah. That's the sort of thing that people actually have to get their mind around. So when we talk about the community space, that's what people actually well, – that's what we have to educate people on. They have to actually really feel comfortable about that and – um, until we do a lot of that, 
Um, and you know, it's going to take time and, and evolution of this whole space. We're never going to hit the outcomes that we really need to hit to make sure that we protect you know, the, the environment, the future, and, and also the grid and, and all those type of things. I'd add to that that there's, from an education perspective, especially with sort of newer and emerging technologies, it's very hard to have someone understand it by telling them. The easiest mm. way is for them to experience it. And the most effective way for them to experience it is to experience a value that they didn't get before. So just something small that they go, oh, wow. So for all of yeah. whether it's the complexity or the potential drawbacks or someone taking my power or whatever, I get this, which I've never been able to do before. And it's trying to kind of land on that simple, which once again, I say these sort of things, it sounds so simple, but this is like Vince <laughs> was saying before with the website, two key pages or the mobile app, sorry, two key pages costing more than all this other information because it's those things that are actually genuinely making a difference. We actually feel, I, I experienced this with organizations as well when they look at uh, whether it's sustainability initiatives or um, digital twins or smart cities or all these sorts of things. It can become very big and complex very quickly. And it's how do you, on one hand, educate, but also drill it down to go, you don't have to and I hate using cliches, but boil the ocean to start. It's how do you simple it, uh, bring it down to something small and it's something that is valuable that you can get started with and experience. And so with those two things, it that's what we've found from an education perspective of going, it's less about a buzzword, it's less about a soundbite, it's something you try yourself. You actually have experienced one specific benefit and then it kind of opens the door to go, well, now you can you felt it. Now imagine if this, this, and this can happen as we go further forward. Yeah, that, that, all, that, that, all the experiences is good, right? That's back to that point. Sorry, Fabian. Um, <laughs> all good. All, all the experiences good. <laughs> yeah. yeah that, that proof of value that you were talking about here is really it, it, it's really what's what's important here, right? Like that nobody really wants the the tech for the tech. Like they they might see everyone adopting it around them, but what is it? What isn't it for them, really? What are what are they going to, going to get out of them? Yeah. Um, the, the the challenge as well, is like uh, as you were saying with before, is that technology is complicated, right? It's uh, none of the solutions are necessarily easy to adopt. So, um, I, as technologists here, this is also kind of our role, really, to make sure that our products are really easy to yeah. use and adopt it, and that there's a, a clear use case for all of it, really, either like a, for quality of life or an ROI or something like that, but. Um, yeah, it needs to be it needs to be simpler with a as simple as possible, I should say, with a with a clear goal, really, and a clear value. Yeah, yeah. What's the what's the problem we're trying to solve? And that's exactly. that's the yeah. hardest thing to actually. You know, you should be able to actually voice that to somebody within a thirty second elevator pitch, right? What is it? What is the problem we're trying to solve? If we don't know that or we can't articulate that, then it's mm. very hard to actually sell them on the solution. That we've actually That's struggled right. with because the solution is only part of the pro- part of the thing. It's about what yeah. is it we're trying to actually do, which is what comes out of insights, data, and all those things as well. Yeah, focus on the problem, not the technology. Yeah, correct. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. It's funny. My first um, thing I remember when I first came to Australia, um, I was expecting to go because basically my mom and dad built a new home probably about fifteen years ago, and there was government grants for people to have um, solar panels put onto their houses um, and it was very very clear of what the value was that you're going to get from it 
it wasn't going to cost much to put it on your house, but also like to save a lot of money um, from, you know, bills and so on. Um, And it was just like a no brainer. And it was normalized in lots of parts of Ireland. You'll see a lot of solar panels. Now think about Ireland, it's like (laughs) rains quite a lot and we'll get a whole lot of sunshine. So I was coming to Australia, I was like thinking, oh, I'll stay this would be an amazing place. Imagine all the solar panels. You know, something like (laughs) I was stuck in my head. Like when I got here and I was like, no, I didn't see one house with it, probably f- that, the whole way across Randwick. I was like, that's mad. And my mm-hmm. dad arrived uh, six, seven years after that for his first time. And something that sprung to him was like, why is, why are all the solar panels in the houses? Like, it's just like, you know, and it, it goes to show you, it's very normalized in Ireland. And it's like, but it's almost like no brainer really, isn't it? And I just, I personally still don't understand why it's not everywhere. And people don't, it should just come Cust- as it should be normalized. Customer, customer education. That's yeah. Yeah. It comes down to that, and um, you know it yeah. has cost, um, of course. And you know, we, we've got we've yeah, where Australia's per capita has the highest solar mm. um, install rate around the world, but mm. you know we are also so diverse. That's it's such great mm. large geographic yeah. space. It's also Definitely. changing uh, where. It's been sort of saying 12 years ago when solar was started, there was a sort of a similar initiative by government where it was subsidised and all of that. There was also, as you said, Sean, that really strong value, which is kind of like I was saying before, if you can drill it down to money, unfortunately, that is yeah. the one that cuts through so easily, <laughs> where people were getting paid a lot for every drop of energy that was pushed back into the grid where not only would their energy bill equal zero each year, but no, they would get paid by the energy company for that. Over the years, as more and more and more solar is now out there, yeah, that's been whittled down to that sort of value of just the raw money coming back in is not as strong as it used to be. And it's not not as strong at all now. So it's one of those sort of other values. And this is what Vince talked about of the other complexities that then started to happen. Now, because in Australia, there's so like, yeah, as Vince said, per capita, so many solar panels. A very good friend of mine works um, in the energy networks and, and designing and how they manage those. What Vince talked about before about the problems in the different states is at times now, because solar, they call it the duck curve. So uh, solar only happens when it's shining, when the sun's shining. So to start with, that's, let's say, eight hours a day that that can happen. Mm -hmm. Um, Then it's when it's shining strongly and there's no clouds. So that kind of reduces it again. But also it means that all of those energy generators are now very, very operational suddenly throughout the day. And that's not how we use energy as people. So yeah. we need energy at night. We need energy when it's raining, when it's cloudy, etc. And the grid wasn't designed for that. It was designed for a couple of, genuinely, a couple of big generators pumping energy that they would slowly ramp up and slow down when TV shows were ending, etc. Um, and now... <laughs> There's actually a time when there's too much energy being pushed into the grid. And I don't profess to understand how they handle this, but it makes the grid unstable and it can actually lead to blackouts because there's too much energy. Yep. And so this yep. is where Vince is talking about. So Yeah, you bring yeah every every, every state yeah. every state is actually handling it. So South Australia is the fourth forefront of that and we're um we're now we're working through a um a topic called flexible exports where the the distribution network SAPM um, South Australia Power Networks can actually turn people's solar off or ramp it down 
Um, and so that's basically what they're doing. So again, another complex area. So data coming in, control, connectivity, all these topics that we talked about are all key and really important in this space. Um, and as I said, you know, Queensland and Victoria, the next two states, this is going to really affect uh, New South Wales um, will come, but they're, they're a little bit behind everybody else, which is which is good. Amazing. Those are the great insights, um, I have to say. Um, I'm conscious of the time. I know it's um, almost 10 past 11. Um, we've, we have covered a lot. I think we've pretty much covered everything. Um, I know one thing... Um, James, you were really keen to talk about was sustainability and the government regulations, which I think we did touch on. Um, but is there anything else you'd like to add into that that you think is quite valuable to this conversation? Look, I think for, with us as at work, we often work with enterprise and organisations that are yeah. not necessarily the residential or us as individual consumers. But the challenge is essentially the same. It's trying to find making big, complex things simple and how to get started yeah. in it. And uh, it often comes down to if you can bring it down to money, and I hate saying this, but it's the way to kind of, it's the easy pathway through that helps, especially when it's innovation related, that's the ability to go and get a lot of things done. And I, and I might say money, but what you end up doing in working through that is you end up stacking a whole lot of values together. And so the money is just the open the door opener to say, let's get going because it'll save X amount. By the way, that's stopped us killing so many trees. That's helped us build this. That's helped the community do this. And so as government starts to regulate, there's a whole lot of things about these scope one, scope two, scope three emissions. Essentially, that's just how much connection and control you have over the impact you're making to the environment. We are going to need to make changes and decisions. And a lot of organizations are just like us as individuals going, this is a really hard problem. How are we going to do it? And what Vince mentioned earlier about access to data, as individuals, we might not want to give control over our battery and, and solar to heat our neighbor's pool. It's the same thing with organizations where they go, well, we believe that our data might be very, um, it might be great IP or it might be really important. Collectively, that data would be able to achieve even bigger things uh, if we were working together and doing things. This sounds very altruistic, and I don't necessarily mean it like that, in like a non-competitive way where the bigger networks, the bigger things organizing together. So I think that's a next big step for just industry in general to go, okay, with all these mountains of data that we're generating, how do we find ways to feel comfortable uh, from a protecting our business interests, but being able to share that data and share our control, just like we do at home, to recognise that by charging our car a little bit less, we might have to choose or do some action to say, yet we are going to go for a nice coastal drive, or I really do want to heat my pool, therefore I want to borrow some other people's electricity. Once again, coming down to the value of what we're going to achieve out of it. And I was just kind of just brought up a thought from me there is that one of the things we haven't covered today is around privacy and especially around you know, data Brilliant. and privacy and so on. Because I remember in the early days, um, people, customers actually said to me, oh, so if you can see my data and you can see when I'm using my energy, that means you can see when I'm at home or not at home. <laughs> yeah. And that's absolute truth. Now, yeah. yeah I had thousands and thousands of um, customers, so I didn't really care about one individual customer. But if I ever had to do analysis or 
create insights for a customer, you could definitely work that out. So it's really, really key and important, especially in some spaces where privacy is really, really important from a business perspective and also from an actual individual perspective as well. Now, for that exact reason, I know you're not home. That means I can come to your house and you're not home. You know what I mean? So, (laughs) Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Yeah. Or even from a business point of view, it could give you a competitive advantage, I guess, to uh, if you Correct. if you learn about businesses' habits and how much power they're using, for example, or things like that. Like, yeah, 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 exactly right. Really good topic. Um, does anyone else want to add into that? No. <laughs> um, uh, guys, you know, I think we've definitely covered everything. Um, there was another point that James, you were gonna, we were gonna jump into, which kind of goes in even more in depth around sustainability. But it's about cloud computing and how sustainable that is. Um, it, it's probably is definitely a, a topic for another day of this. Um, yes. But I suppose, <laughs> yeah. Um, topic yeah. of its own right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so maybe we could get into it a second episode of this, but it's been fantastic. Um, and I think we'll leave it there. Uh, but I just want to say that thank you so much all for joining the podcast today. Um, and really interesting, you know, topics surrounding this um, massive topic around protecting our technology, uh, protecting our future with technology. Um, so yeah, really, really appreciate it. It's been fantastic. And um, hopefully catch you guys on another podcast soon. Thank you.